<laughs> All right. Um, just a couple of quick notices then while we wait for the ladies to come through. So, um, members meeting on the 29th of January. So it's a, a collective covenant members meeting. So if you're a covenant member, we good to see you there. I think it's going to be at seven. That'll be seven or half past. Um, we don't know where it is yet, but probably it's going to be at Belvedere again. But I'll let you know next week. But it'd be good if you could put, put that in your diary in the next one. Well done, Matthew. Um, next Monday, so a week on Monday, a week tomorrow, is the start of our uh, week of prayer, which is going to be um, just a wonderful way for us to start the year, an exciting way for us to start the year as well. Um, so I mentioned last week, and it's going to be pretty full on. It's going to be pretty intense. This isn't going to be like a, a week of prayer like we've done before. This is going to be quite demanding in terms of just time and commitment and, and sacrifice and getting there. But can I encourage you, the fruit of that is going to be worthwhile. So if you can prioritize as much as you can to be it, the stuff that's going on, that'd be great. I appreciate coming to the morning and evening, especially with, with kids, is going to be difficult and with work. It's going to be difficult, but as much as you can, if you can make that a priority. So the morning um, prayer is going to be at Andy's house, and the evening prayer is probably going to be at ours, but it, it may also be um, split across a few others. So at Andy's, it just makes it easier. There's no kids, um, so we can kind of not disturb anyone. And we'll just chat about the time later on. Um, but if you can just kind of be thinking about that on Tuesday this week, I'm going to send an email out just with a little bit more info about what's going on in the week. Um, so you can plan that in advance as well. Um, right, we shall make a start. So I mentioned last week, we're starting a new series this week, just a four-week series um, called Zeal. And I have to say, I know it's kind of, we're still in the middle of Christmas and we still kind of got Christmas on our minds, but just spending a bit of time thinking about zeal and, and God's zeal and the zeal that he calls us to just thinking about that a little bit this week, I've almost got a little bit distracted from Christmas because I've been just getting excited about actually what, what this means for us and, and honestly how transformational it could be for us as individuals, but for us as a church as well. And it's significant that we're going to start the year off in this way, just really grounding ourselves in understanding who God is and who we are in light of who God is. So so I'm, I'm really excited. Be prayerful as we move through the series as well. Be praying that God would really just challenge our hearts um, and move us and grow us as we do. And again, this would just be a real launch pad for what he wants to do through uh, Liberty Church in 2020. Now this week, um, kind of Christmas is gone and New Year's Day is coming. And if you're anything like me, you're starting to think a little bit about um, New Year's resolutions and what we're going to do this year and how this year is going to be different and again if you're anything like me this week is a little bit tragic as you start to look back on the last year so i write all my stuff down in the, in the front of my journal at the start of the year i'll write down all the things that i want to do this year and i get a little bit kind of uh, frustrated and annoyed with myself looking back at the things that i was hoping to do and i just never got got round to and, and i can always be regretful as a as i look at opportunities which i've missed um, just time that I've wasted, decisions that I, I wanted to make which I've, I've deferred. And this happens kind of every year. Like there are things that I wanted to do that I, I just didn't do. And probably a lot of us are the same. It's interesting. In the same way, 
uh, that kind of regretful looking back and, and regretful looking at things that we, we could have done, which we haven't have done, happens at a cosmic level as well. So individuals across the world will be doing that looking back on 2019. But the word of God says that we were all created to glorify God. That's what we were created for. We were created to glorify him and to glorify means to reflect God's perfect character. So everything that God is, all of his attributes, to reflect that, to image it, to kind of mirror it to the world around us. We were created to glorify God. And we know, what does Paul say in Romans 3.23, that all of us have fallen short of that. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul kind of gives a bit of an explanation for, for why he says that we have exchanged the glory of God for images, for created images. And nowadays, those images most likely are ourselves. It's the things that we, that we see when we look in the mirror. That we, we have exchanged the glory of God for something so inferior. And we worship that other thing instead, whether it's money or sex or, or relationships or even ourselves. And we can kind of look regretfully at, at the things that we should be doing, the things that we have been created for that, that quite often we, we don't do and we miss out on. But what I hope we can see this morning over the, over the next four weeks is we see a simple truth and kind of hold on to a simple truth that will radically transform our lives. And no matter kind of what your, your outlook is of 2020, if you're kind of looking at the year ahead and you're thinking, Work's going to be difficult or work's going to be boring or, or I've got these kind of difficult moves coming up or decisions to make and it's just going to be stressful and, and there's anxiety coming and all these different things that are coming. No matter what is coming and no matter what is coming that you can't yet see, there is, there is a truth that we can hear this morning that will enable us this time next year at the end of 2020 to look back with, with no regrets. With, with satisfaction in what we have done in that year. And the truth is that truth that we are all created to glorify God. We are created for God's glory. And I say that, and, and each time I say that, that kind of, it's landing probably on our ears of something that we're familiar in hearing. And it's almost become part of our vo vocabulary that we are created to glorify God. We are created for God's glory. And it can almost... Uh, we can almost be tempted to think that's, that's overused. But honestly, if, if we truly grasp what that means, it will, it will transform how we find our satisfaction. It will transform our joy, our happiness. It will shift our direction for the most of us, whether, whether we're a Christian or not, it will shift our direction. It will it, it have implications for our decisions, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our gifts, the preferences that we have. It will truly transform our lives if we fully understand what it means to be created for God's glory. Created for God's great purpose, to glorify him. To image, to reflect, reflect and to call to attention his glory. This is a constant thread throughout the Bible. We're going to spend the next four weeks kind of walking that through. We're going to look at how our lives can can be lies which not just acknowledge that we are created to glorify God, but, but we can actually live lives which are zealous for it. That's why we call this series zeal. How we can live lives which are zealous for the glory of God. And let me just quickly explain what that word zeal means so we're all on the same page. J.C. Ryle, who was the bishop of... Have a guess. Just... Liverpool. 
the Bishop of Liverpool, about 100 years ago, died in 1900. Phenomenal. The best Bishop Liverpool has ever had. I'm not ashamed of saying that. Um, hands down. This is what he said about zeal. He said, Christian zeal is a burning desire to please God, to do his will and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. Let me just break that down. Zeal is a burning desire. Another word for that is fervor. Fervor is like an, an earnestness of feeling. Uh, J.C. Ryle is saying that zeal is kind of something that is like stoked in within us. It's a fire that burns within us, a desire to please God, to do things that will please him, to do his will, to listen to his words, to listen to his call and to follow, to do his will and to advance his glory in the world. That's what it means to be a Christian who is zealous, to, to not just acknowledge his glory, but to promote his glory, to advance his glory across the whole world and then listen to that in every way possible. In every way possible. That is dangerous. That means like nothing, nothing is off the table. Like whatever it takes, whatever the sacrifice is needed, whatever the cost is, that this burning desire in us will spill over to please God, to do his will, to advance his glory, whatever it takes. My prayer for us as we spend these next four weeks together and as we pray together next week is that we would be Christians, we would be believers who truly have just the, 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 the flames of our hearts stoked by God's glory. And that fire, that zeal, that Forever for God's glory spills over as we seek to please him and do his will. And that we would honestly and truly have hearts that would want to advance his glory across the world. My prayer would be that we would sacrifice, that we would deny, that we would work hard, that we would labor, that we would spend. And we would be willing to be spent for the glory of God. And in the time we've got left this morning, just the next 20 minutes or so, I want to start us off with looking at, at zeal, but looking at God's zeal. The next three weeks, we're going to look at how we can be zealous in response to the glory of God. But this morning, I just want to just briefly take us through and show us that actually zeal doesn't start with us. It starts with God himself. It starts with God being zealous for his own glory. So why don't we turn to Isaiah chapter 48. It's page 609 in, in our church Bibles. Isaiah 48. And I'm just going to just read just a couple of verses for us. Verses 9 to 11. Isaiah 48. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Let's pray. Father, we, we acknowledge that you are a God who is exalted high above the heavens and the earth. We acknowledge that you are a glorious God, that there is nothing that we can do to add to your glory. We thank you that you are eternally glorious, that you have always been, you are and you always will be a God who is perfect in every way. We thank you for the privilege that you have given for us 
your people to reflect that glory. Help us to understand what that means this morning. Help us to understand um, who you are just that little bit more as we look and study and, and try and get to grips with you being a God who is zealous uh, for your own glory. Lord Jesus, would you be the focus of our affections this morning? Holy Spirit, would you guide us into truth as we submit to the word of God? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. God is zealous for his glory. A few weeks ago, um, <coughs> Micah, I was picking Micah and Ruthie up from school, and Micah burst out of, um, of school, almost knocking uh, one of the parents over as he came out, and just ran straight up to me and, um, and started to kind of just download all this information about anglerfish. Now, if you don't know what an anglerfish is, it's those kind of weird-looking fish with like, the light in front of it like that. Is that a good impression? Yeah, you with me? Um, and he'd been studying about anglerfish in school and all the way home, it's about a 10-minute walk home from uh, Sudley to our house. He was just reeling off um, statistics and, and information and data about anglerfish like all the way home. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, did you know that um, anglerfish live a mile under the sea? I was like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's really cool. And we walk a bit, bit more and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, did you know there's over 200 species of anglerfish? And I'm like, oh, no, that's... That's really interesting. So, Daddy, Daddy, do you know that anglerfish are blind? They can't even see. I go, that's, that's really interesting, Micah. And he kind of just statistic and, and fact after fact, he kept on, on downloading. And he's, he's become fascinated with this thing, the anglerfish. He's never going to meet one. He's never going to see one. But he's just become so excited and so passionate about this random thing. And the boy's zealous. Zealous about anglerfish. That's all he could talk about. It was kind of spilling over. He was so excited. He kind of knocks this woman over almost just to tell me how excited he is about this anglerfish. God is zealous for his glory in an infinitely greater way than Micah is zealous for his anglerfish. You see that in these just three verses here in Isaiah 48. The context here is um, it's Old Testament Israel. They're in exile in Babylon. And God's people are forgetting who they are and they're forgetting who God is. And they're forgetting the promises of God. And God, through uh, these uh, chapters uh, in, in Isaiah, is reminding his people that even through their unfaithfulness, even through their rebellion, he is still at work. And he's showing them here in verses 9 to 11 that God is a zealous God. And you read these verses and, and they almost look a little bit just, just strange as you read them because all that we know of God, we almost just assume that God is zealous for his people. That God is zealous to save his people. That God is zealous to, to show his mercy. That God is zealous to, to defer his anger. That he is zealous to, to protect his people. But that isn't what you read in these verses. What you read in these verses is that God is zealous for God. He is zealous for his own glory. Like Just look at, at, at what we see here. Six times he says so clear to his people through the prophet that he is for himself. He says it's for his name's sake he defers his anger. It's for the sake of his praise that he, that he restrains his anger so they won't be cut off. He says he's refined them, not as silver, but he has tried them in the furnace of affliction. Why? For his own sake. For his own sake. Why should he do it? Because he, his name should not be profaned. And he will not give his glory to another. Six times God is making it clear why he is working through Israel. For his glory. God is utmost in his affections. He is more passionate about his glory than anyone else. 
And his ultimate goal is to display that glory to the world around him. That is what God is passionate about more than anything else. That is what kind of stokes God's heart. That is what God's heart is overflowing with. That is what his, his passion is overflowing with. It's his glory. That's what he is zealous about. You see that all the way through scripture. He has always been working for his glory. Right from creation all the way through, through to the end. In Habakkuk 2.14. Most of us know that these verse. God says that, that he will fill the earth with the, the, um, the knowledge of his glory like the waters cover the sea. That's his ultimate goal, to fill the world with his glory. At the end of all things in Revelation 21, 23, we see that ultimately in the new creation, the glory of God will replace the sun. Like that is his goal, that his glory will fill the earth, that all will see his glory. And we see that through history, God has been zealous for that. Zealous that the weight, the substance of who he is will be seen. Every act of God through history has that aim at its core, for him to be glorified. When he creates Adam and Eve, that is so that he will be glorified through them. How does he create them? In his image. So that they will reflect his glory. When he draws his people out of slavery in Egypt, why does he do that? To save them. Yes, but to save them so he can show his glory. When he gives his people his law, why does he do that? Because he wants the world to see how glorious he is. Even when he saves his people as his son hangs on a cross. Why does he do that? Because he wants his glory to be on display for the whole universe to see. And as he calls his people together in the new creation, he does that all for his glory. God has no alternative but to glory in himself. He has no alternative. And that isn't kind of a spiritual argument. That's a kind of rational conclusion of God being the perfect being that he is. Because we glory those who are greater. And who, who is greater than God? No one. So it makes sense that God would glory in his own glory. Because he is the most glorious. It makes sense that he will be zealous for his own glory. You can kind of hear that. And often people do hear that and think... What a selfish God. What a narcissistic, neurotic God. That he would kind of be zealous for his own glory. What an unloving and arrogant God. That he'll be zealous for his own glory. But he's not. Because we also see God is zealous for his glory. And that is the root of his love. He is zealous for his glory and that is the root of his love. God's desire for us to center our lives on him is the most loving thing that he could ask us to do. Because he is the source of infinite goodness. God's desire for, for him to be the affection of our hearts is the most loving thing that he could ask us to do. Because he is the source of infinite greatness. Let me illustrate this as a contrast. So... Um, one of the things I try to do in the new year is to think of Elizabeth and, um, and think in what ways I can kind of love her better in the year to come. And um, I kind of have a, have a list of things just as each year goes on in our marriage, trying to learn her better and understand her better. And um, imagine if we kind of sat down in the next couple of days and I said, okay, Elizabeth, I've got it. There's a new approach for 2020. This is the way I'm going to show you, um, show you, uh, 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 that, that I love you. I want you just to pour all your affection onto me. 
I want you to kind of just to center your life around me. And that's how I'm going to show you that I love you. And so it might look something like this. If, that, if this is how it went. Um, on the 1st of January, we'd get up at half six and we'd get on our, on our bikes and we'd go for a 30 mile ride. Uh, wind, rain or shine, we'd be out there riding our bikes for a few hours. And then we'd come home and Elizabeth would cook me breakfast. We'd have probably peanut butter on toast, which she, she hates, but she'd eat it because she's kind of, or, you know, revolving around me and all her affections around me. And then, then I'd have the first shower and I'd have a long shower. I'd be in the shower for about 30 minutes and no interruptions. The door would be locked. And then um, she'd get the kids ready for school and I'd just quietly vent my frustration at kind of their the glacial pace and, and, and she would just, you know, smile at me and just, you know, not complain at all. And then she'd applaud my apathy and not you know, being in prayer and not being in the word in the morning. She'd affirm my laziness through the day. She'd, she, she'd at the end of the day, come home from work. She'd do the dishes. She'd get the kids ready for bed. She'd um, sort all the, all the clothes, all with a smile on her face. And then when the kids are in bed, perfectly timed, Elizabeth. I'm just talking about a new regime that we're bringing in. Um, as, um, as we get ready for bed, um, maybe just before we go to bed, we're sitting in the lounge with a fire uh, roaring, Elizabeth's pouring me fresh coffee and she's reading to me from a sports um, biography and then she tucks me safely into bed and allows me to sleep on the right hand side of the bed because that is my favorite side that I never get to sleep on but in this new regime I'm showing Elizabeth that I love her by allowing all of her affections just to fall on to me is that going to go well? There you go. <laughs> of course it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well because as Elizabeth pours her affections on me, for the most part, I am hopefully a good person. But I'd be lying if I said I'm not selfish. I'm not narcissistic myself. I'm not neurotic. I'm not unloving and I'm not arrogant. In contrast... God asks us to pour all our affection onto him and to center our lives around him. And in contrast to me, every move, every thought, every word, every deed, every action that comes out of God is perfect. There is no selfishness, there is no unlovingness, there is no arrogance in God. Every second spent with God is a, is a moment where we, 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 we receive his love and his mercy and his grace. Every second that we spend with God isn't, isn't kind of time where we question his goodness. It's, it's, it's time where we are dazzled with his goodness. A life that revolves around God is not a life of confusion and a life of distress. It is a life of peace. Every time God's character is on display... We see purity. We see holiness. We see overflowing goodness. Where do we see that best? But at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God's glory is on display for all the world to see. And we don't see a hint of imperfection there. We don't see a hint of, of arrogance in the Lord Jesus Christ. God as he dies on the cross. We don't see a hint of, of unlovingness towards his creation on the cross. All that spills out of God on the cross is purity, is perfection, is goodness overflowing and abounding towards the very people that are putting him to death. You can see how God's zeal for himself 
is loving towards us. God's call for us to center our lives on us is God loving us. If, God lo- if God's love allowed us to make ourselves or to make another person or to make another thing central to our affections, he would be depriving, depriving us of the one thing that is constant in pouring out goodness. And that is himself. But he doesn't. In his love, he asks us to center our lives around him so that we would know his love, so that we know his perfect goodness. Folks, the next three weeks, God's word is going to challenge us to make radical changes in our lives. It will. And that will be the best thing for us. That will be the best thing for us, the call to be zealous for the glory of God, to make radical changes and to, and to think about radical decisions, to be zealous that God's glory would be manifest is the best thing for us. Listen to this. This is a quote from John Piper. This is what he says. Love labors and suffers to enthrall us with what is infinitely and eternally satisfying. And that is God. Love works hard to enthrall us, to draw us towards what is infinitely and eternally satisfying. And that is God. And I hope that's what we do over the next three weeks. Usher one another, push one another lovingly, encourage one another towards the very thing that is infinitely and eternally satisfying God. Because that is the best thing for us. <coughs> because of that truth, because of that truth this year, God will relentlessly chase down your idols He will put to death your narcissism. He will remove anything that deprives him of his glory because he is zealous for his glory to be preeminent in your life. That's because he loves you. God is zealous for his glory and that is the root of his love. And finally, God is zealous for his glory, which is the root of his love and the source of joy. For me to be the center of Elizabeth's affection is not just kind of unloving and selfish and and arrogant of me. It will ultimately rob her of her joy. See, God's glory is a generous, self-giving glory. He doesn't keep it to himself. Listen to this. This is from Psalm 105, verse 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. The psalmist is saying there that as we, as we pursue the glory of God, what is there for us there? Joy. God is generous with his glory. As we glorify him, we receive joy. As we display his goodness and his character to those around us, we receive joy. All I do when I glorify myself is rob other people of their joy. It is a pursuit of my own joy, not theirs. And every one of us would do the same. If, if we had our way, we would live lives which just kind of center ourselves on ourselves. And in doing that, we were robbing ourselves of joy. When God displays his glory, he shares his perfect joy with those that are his. That's what he does. So this kind of call to be zealous for God's glory isn't just that we would be radical Christians. This is almost a, 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 a kind of a, a selfish endeavor in that we would just be joyful people. 
That's what we get when, when we pursue God's glory. We receive joy. We need to know that we are never going to experience true joy when we elevate ourselves or elevate someone else. But when we glorify the source of all joy, he delights to share in his joy with us. Let me just um, finish off with telling you about my friend Brenda. So Brenda is 91. I went to visit her in the hospital. I've got younger friends as well. Um, I went to visit her in the hospital yesterday. She's just had heart surgery. Um, she, she, um, well, the way she explained it, she died on the operating table last week. Well, obviously she's still alive because I saw her yesterday. And um, I went with Ruthie, took her to see her. And on the way, I was telling Ruthie a little bit about Brenda's life. So Brenda was a pioneer missionary in East in South Thailand. Spent 40 years of her life um, serving uh, mostly lepers who were over there, contracted leprosy herself. Um, her two companions were kidnapped and murdered. She carried on just plowing away, translated the Bible into Malay and then into Thai. Um, had literally, she was telling us yesterday, hundreds of people every week banging on her door, um, needing uh, physical help, but also desperate to know about this God uh, that she would go around these villages preaching about. And uh, as we were sitting at her bedside, um, she was asking how we were getting on and I kind of shared an update. And um, she said, oh, it's such a privilege for, for you to be here. And I said, Brenda, I said, don't say that. It's, it's a privilege for us to be here. I said, I was telling Ruthie on the way that you are probably um, the, um, the, the lady who I know who is who's closest to Christ in my life. Um, you are a lady who has kind of um, given more for the sake and the cause of the gospel than anyone that I know. And she grabbed my hand and told me off. And she said, don't say that, Neil. And she just changed the conversation completely. And she said, tell me what you're preaching tomorrow. And she gave me her Bible and I read from Isaiah 48. And before I even read the verses from Isaiah 48, she started uh, reciting them herself. She said, I love these verses. So I read the verses from Isaiah 48. I started talking about the glory of God and her face lit up. And she, was, she, she just asked me, just tell me more about what you're saying. Tell me more about what you're saying. And the more I talked about Christ, the more her face kind of radiated. See, for Brenda, a, a woman who has walked a, a, a walk of faithfulness, and she has struggled in so many ways, but, but she's been faithful to the cause of Christ. The greatest thing that she can hear is Jesus. She's not interested in, in, in herself being glorified, and she has done phenomenal things for the kingdom. But all she wants to hear is her Savior, the glory of God. That is where she finds her joy, in God being made much of. She literally grabs my hand and tells me off for doing the opposite. All she wants is God's glory to be put on display. That is where she feels her joy from. And folks, can I encourage us to that end? Let us not be people who, who try and uh, draw attention to Liberty Church or draw attention to ourselves. Because when we do that, we are robbing ourselves of joy. And if you are sitting here this morning and you are feeling flat and you are feeling that 2020 is going to be a struggle and going to be a drag and going to be a joyless year, you are wrong. If only you would center your life on the glory of God. There is riches of joy to be had for you there. That is what he wants for us, folks. He loves us that much that he would want us to center our lives around him so his joy can be on display, so we can receive his joy in all of its glory and all of its fullness. 
how do we apply this going forward? Well, here's one I prepared earlier. Here's what I'd love for us to do. On this sheet and on the screen in a minute, there are a list of questions. As we go through the next three or four weeks, there are going to be uh, these questions coming up again. Here's what I'd love us to do. Over this week, would you just kind of fold this up, put it in your Bible? And when you open your Bibles, would you just read through these questions and, and prayerfully seek to answer them? But frame them in the knowledge that God is zealous for his glory. That is the root of his love and the source of his joy. So here are the questions. In light of that, how would your plans for 2020 change? If God is zealous for his glory, which is the root of his love and the source of joy, how would your plans for 2020 change? How might you deal with temptation to sin? What would your motivation for holiness be? How would your perspective on the trial that you're facing or will face in the year to come change? How might you view the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? What would a life of worship look like? How would you apportion your financial income? What activities would you prioritize in the week? How would you approach conflict in relationships? How would you serve your brothers and sisters at liberty? How would you approach our mission to reach Lark Lane? How would you view your part in God's mission? How would you pray? If it is true that God is zealous for his glory, and that is the root of his love for his people, and it is the source of true joy, how would you answer those questions? Please, would you take them away? Think about them, pray through them, seek to answer them in a way that glorifies God. Folks, God is for God. He pursues his own praise. He pursues the exaltation of his name. He is zealous for his glory. And in doing that, God is loving us infinitely more than if he let us be the center of our own affections. Our hearts are made for God and are only truly satisfied and filled with joy when we make him the object and center of our glory. Let's pray. God, you are a glorious God. You are a God who is filled with love and mercy and grace and justice and peace and wisdom and power. God, we thank you that you haven't keeping those things hidden, but you have put those on display. Your glory has been shown to us. Thank you that we have seen your glory through your son. Jesus, we thank you that as we we look at you and we consider your life, your death, your, your resurrection and your ascension, we see the glory of God. We see God in all of his perfection. We see all of your perfect attributes being poured out and put on display. And God, we thank you that you are zealous for your own glory. We thank you that that for your people, you, you constantly pursue us and knock down our idols and prevent us from making ourselves the center of our own affections. Would you help us this week as we work through these questions and honestly ask them of ourselves and of each other, would you help us to be people who would pursue your glory above anything else? 
to live lives and to make decisions and to, and to lay down our preferences and to sacrifice and to, and to spend and, and, and to deny ourselves all for the glory of God before anything else. God, would we see that you are not a God who is arrogant. You are a God who is abounding in steadfast love. That you are the most glorious. That there is none above you. God, we thank you that you've made yourself known. Thank you that you are here by your spirit. Help us where we are struggling to understand, struggling to, to walk in faithfulness to this. Help us now as we spend time fellowshipping around this table. Help this to be a time where you are glorified amongst us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. The glory of God as we take this meal. The glory of God is not... An additional attribute of God is the culmination of all of his perfect attributes. All of his mercy, all of his grace, all of his love, all of his peace, all of his justice culminate together as we think about the death of Jesus Christ. When we think about the cross, that is what we see. God's perfect glory put on display. And any accusation that God is arrogant or unloving when you look at the cross quickly melts away. Because all you see at the cross is a God who desperately loves his people. Who is abounding in mercy and love and grace. Who is zealous for his glory. So as we take this meal, we take this meal in acknowledgement that we need a saviour. That we are all those things that God is not. We are selfish, we are sinful, we are proud. We are arrogant and those things ultimately lead to death. And so we reflect on our sin. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 1. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In love, God predestined us here this morning to be his sons. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That is what we see in Jesus' death as his body was broken, as his blood was shed. We receive forgiveness for our sins to the praise of God's glory. That's what was happening on the cross. God wasn't, wasn't defeated. He was being glorified through Jesus' death as he claimed his bride as his own. So let's take this meal as you take the bread, take the juice and the wine. Spend some time in reflection, in confession and repentance for sin. Spend some time in thanksgiving that God has made a way through the death of his son and his resurrection to pay for our sin, to bring us life and to give us an eternal inheritance. And this is also a time when we, we serve one another, we care for one another. And what I want us to do each week over the next four weeks is to, is to pray with each other. So that's kind of open for us to do each week, but I want us to be intentional about this each week, to pray with each other. And as we pray, pray for God's glory to be manifest in our lives even through our sin. And if we're feeling kind of 
struggle and weakness to be people who would truly be glorifying him in our lives. Let's pray for one another. This meal is a source of strength for us. It is as we're called to remember the gospel. The Holy Spirit can fill us with hope and joy and peace. So let's use this meal just to do that, just to encourage one another. So I'd love us to do that just in twos or threes. And and let's just be honest and sensitive if we're kind of... um, struggling to pray just be aware of that and pray for that person if they're struggling to be prayed there's no kind of requirement for everyone to to pray but as many of us can pray for one another pray that god would be glorified even through our weakness he would be glorified and that he would strengthen us by his spirit to be people who would be zealous for his glory is that okay so just in two or twos or threes let's do that um maybe once you you've prayed and then then come up and take the meal and then um sit back down and then Matty will lead us through song.